Hello, I'm Kieran Lynch and welcome to Obicast, the Chocolate Sheep Podcast. Each episode will bring you its insights, advice and technical updates for the sheep industry. Now in a bonus episode from a recent Let's Talk Sheep webinar, we hear an edited extract from Marissa Sheehan, who is based in the Department of Agriculture's Regional Veterinary Laboratory in Kilkenny. Marissa talks about flock health issues that they observe in the lab each spring and what causes them, explaining what approach we should take when issues occur. She goes on to discuss the TNU survey, a new project being run by the RVLs across the country this year. We rejoin Marissa towards the end of the episode where we take questions submitted by the audience on the night. So I'm basically, I'm uh, one of the vets in Kilkenny Regional Vet Lab. Uh, we see quite a few uh, sheep and hopefully we've learned something from that and um, we'll get shared with you there tonight. So I suppose we're very much, even when we get um, animals in here, it's really very useful for us to put that into context and to see what part of the flock health issue that might be. So we're all about gaining knowledge on the health of your flock, because if you know what's wrong, then you can very much deal with the problem. So I suppose we'd be, again, keen to get sheep farmers to know and record what's going on in their flock. So how many adult sheep and lambs die each year? Just as you can measure yourself against industry norms and just pick up somewhere if there's a problem, if there's some issue that you haven't um, noticed or you're becoming maybe immune to it, and just to be able to compare yourself with uh, sort of industry standards. So what type of animal is dying? What age of animals um, are dying? Because that will very much point you towards a diagnosis. And the key thing here then is to try and prevent it and to reduce those mortality rates. Because that's what we need is key performance indicators, target management decisions to improve flock health and improve the profitability and welfare of your flocks. So I suppose this time of the year, we're very much seeing um, abortions. So most sheep abortions occur after day 100 gestation. And the two big hitters are no surprise, they're toxoplasma and uh, enzo, enzoatic abortion of yews caused by chlamydophilia abortus. So again, it's really important to know what is causing these abortions because there's a lot of agents other than these as well, but also with these agents, you can um, implement a vaccination policy um, and once you know what you're doing, you can also maybe prevent um, a really bad occurrence in the case of EAE uh, through judicious use of um, antibiotics in the face of a, an outbreak. I suppose we did a, a study back in 2016, and I guess it probably won't have changed that much, uh, just to look at the vaccination frequency. So uh, 54 or over half of the participant farmers were vaccinating against toxoplasma, but quite a low level vaccinating against uh, EAE. So that might be something absolutely to consider if you have a diagnosis of EAE in your flock, because it can be quite devastating um, in the first year of an abortion storm caused by EAE. Sorry, wrong button. Uh, On average, in that uh, study, the submission rate per adult female was 7.6%. Um, I think what's quite useful is to keep the 5-6% level in the back of your mind because that's usually the level for mortalities um, above which you need to start getting a little bit concerned and asking a few questions. Uh, so these are lambs that we saw this week. So it's quite useful, I suppose, just, just to warn people, there are a few photos here that I know as farmers you're probably quite used to seeing, but um, apologies if they're in any way distressful to, to people, but just from a practical point of view, I thought it might be useful just to 
to show what look as farmers um you all look used to to seeing as well so I, I think maybe it just brings the message home so I hope that's okay with you all so these are two lambs these basically in uh are kind of nice fresh lambs with the placenta that's what we want to see in the lab and um, sometimes we get very autolyzed lambs um, and a lot of the times we don't get placenta. It can't be overemphasized the importance of submitting a placenta, both for bovine and ovine abortions, but particularly for ovine abortions, because both your toxo, your yee, your coxiellas, all those, they really target the placenta. So when we're looking down the microscope, um, it really helps us to have a placenta because we can identify agents and it really increases the diagnostic rate. Uh, we probably suggest probably three aborted lambs at a time. It's probably better to submit more frequently and less numbers because uh, if we get increased numbers, we start pooling samples in that. So I would submit two or three of your freshest aborted fetuses. And then if we don't get an answer, and I think it's always important for us to manage expectations, sometimes we just don't get an answer. That in itself is an answer sometimes. But um, if, if losses continue, then we really encourage that you, you submit again and again, you keep chasing it until you get an answer. So this is a placenta with characteristic little white spots on the cotyledons or the buttons of the placenta. And this is what we see with Toxoplasma gondii. Again, it's an indicator. We would um, warn against making any diagnosis just on growth signs alone and really laboratory testing is needed. And this is the kind of thing, this is actually a bit of brain tissue. And this is a lesion here um, of inflammation in the brain of an aborted lamb. So we're, we would be pretty happy then the toxoplasma gondii uh, is the agent there. This is a placenta then that has both oedema of the intracotyledonary space and the cotyledons. And this is more of a feature then of the EA, but again, with the health warning that gross exam isn't helpful. Uh, unfortunately, we uh, see these, um, I suppose, Twisted lambs, um, technically it's a lamb with arthrogryphosis. Um, we see these uh, every year also, I guess. First of all, we watch rule out Schmallenberg and some other kind of exotic diseases. Um, but sometimes to know that these are just um, very unfortunate but occasional occurrences and we don't get an answer to, but I would stress that it's important to submit these just in case there is an infectious agent involved or some nutritional issue. So this is just comparing a normal brain with an Ishmanenberg affected brain. So you could see with that level of um, damage to the brain, you are going to get those limb deformities. So when to submit, uh, clusters of abortions are greater than 5% of yours aborting. You really need to try and get an answer because it's all about preventing this becoming a bigger issue or, or an ongoing issue. Uh, so again, aborted fetuses, placentas, and if you can, some uh, ask your vet to get some blood samples from yours as well. Uh, and we've said that. Okay, so then uh, perinatal deaths. So perinatal, I suppose, refers to that period. Uh, it can refer to different periods. It's in the first 48 hours, but I was reading an article in an English journal um, this week, and they described it up to seven days. So that around lambing period. Um, and the numbers of deaths and the averages range, depending on the article or the country you're dealing with, from kind of 5% up to 30% in some outgrowth locks, which if they hit bad weather. But again, I think a useful figure is your 5-6%. If you're going over that level without, you know, a specific cause, you really need to be digging into that and finding what's happening. Dystopia, 
anoxy hypoxia is lack of oxygen during birth. So that can be related to um, uh, slow birthing, ring wound, um, things like that, uh, or dystopia. Uh, stillbirth can be very much a symptom of one of the abortion uh, causing agents. So your toxoplasma or your EAEs or your campylobacters can also result in stillborn full-term um, fetuses. <clears throat> so again, I think the reason I'm putting this up is to just emphasize that it's so important if your levels are creeping up a little bit and they're of concern to you, then I think it's really important to record what you think is causing those um, and to make decisions then for the following uh, breeding season, whether that is your condition of your yews, your breed type, your um, if you're outdoors, is there a lack of shelter, uh, things like that. And then obviously the real important things are your clean environment, your colostrum, and then as we mentioned, prevent hypothermia. Um, I it was very interesting, uh, two or three years ago, I was at... Um, uh, Chagask session as well and Tim Keady from Chagask um, just reported some investigations he had done and it was quite I suppose interesting maybe slash alarming of the lack of cleaning out of um, individual lambing pens that takes place so that's probably a key parameter that could be improved and um, especially now that we've entered the era of um, really discouraging kind of blanket use of prophylactic antibiotics for prevention of water mouth and that so I thought that was very interesting, the, the low numbers of um, people who regularly clean out their lambing pens and refresh those with fresh straw and put down lime or whatever to try and keep that level of contamination of the environment to a low level. This is just a lamb that had a broken ribs. Obviously, um, it could be mismothering or a yaw standing on a lamb um, or else a very difficult um, birth. Then moving on to death in lambs from a birth to one year old, um, GIT infections, and a lot of these are parasitic disease. Um, in the lab, we see particularly this year, because particularly we had a very uh, parasite-rich, um, if that's the word to use, uh, autumn time because of the mild weather. Now, we're in the southeast, so I know I'm talking to an audience from all over the country, so that will depend on where you are. But certainly, um, we saw a lot of parasitic problems last year. I mentioned barbapole worm later, which was a specific parasite, which we saw a really large amount of this year. Um, I think I could safely say that uh, parasitism was probably the a very major cause of the mortality that we saw um, during the lab last summer and still continuing. And uh, now we saw a case of um, fluke just during the week. Um, then on top, and I think it's probably worth mentioning now as well, is the issue of anthelmintic resistance. Um, we are certainly uh, identifying that as a real problem and a limiting factor in uh, sheep performance and reaching targets um, on a number of farms where we suspect there is um, anthelmintic resistance. And I suppose more than suspect have kind of proven with fetal egg introduction tests um, that uh, resistance is a real issue. So I think I think we really have to be aware of that because I think that that is, is going to become more of a limiting factor on performance on, on sheep flocks. Then we have, and I know um, my colleague Charles is going to speak to this about vaccinations and that your bacterium is your septicemia. So they're, we're calling them Bibristinia trehalosis and Mannheimi hemolyticus, but they're all in the pastoral group. So they're all um, pastoral-like organisms. So when you 
get acute pastrolosis, we're still referring to these agents. They've been renamed in that, but it's still acute pastrolosis. We see that consistently as a cause of sudden death in uh, particularly younger, uh, in this age group, birth to one-year-old uh, sheep. Uh, so, you know, we see inflammation of the esophagus, we see pneumonias, and we see bacteremia septicemias um, caused by these bacteria. Um, they're obviously normal inhabitants of uh, sheep's uh, system. So it's usually when sheep are under pressure, under stress, there's a concurrent parasitism or they're slightly um, strained nutritionally wise. And this then is where we see these pastoralosis uh, kicking in and causing sudden death. Pastoral disease, I know um, Charles is going to refer to this as well. Consistent cause of sudden death in sheep, probably kidney disease, one of the common, common causes of sudden death that we see coming through the lab. And respiratory diseases can also refer to these pastoral diseases. And um, I think uh, it's probably no harm just to mention uh, Chagask, uh, ourselves, UCD and uh, the drug companies, the stakeholders have come up with these three steps, three kind of simple, straightforward steps, because I know this can be a bit of a quagmire um, to try and get sort of very concise messaging across. So this is the aim of these four steps is don't use uh, dose use unless there's a demonstrated need. So unless you have a hemonchus contortus problem or you have yohoggets that are slightly under-conditioned or are under pressure, have had um, multiple lambs, then they obviously might need a dose. But other than that, adult yo should have good resistance uh, to, to worms and shouldn't need a dose. Use your white trenches, your benzmidazoles for nematodiris in the early season um, because there's very little resistance shown uh, to white trenches. And it's a good use of your white trenches while keeping your your other actives, your clear and yellow doses for, for later on in the season. Always do a quarantine treatment for bought in sheep. So always treat those um, with a prescription only drug or two to three uh, actives to try and clear out any resistant worms so you don't put them uh, into your uh, worm population on your farm. And always make sure then to put them on to uh, dirty pastures so that those, if there is still some remaining resistant worms, that they're being diluted out by uh, susceptible worms. And routinely use fecal egg counts and drench tests so that you're really keeping on top of what's happening on your farm. This is just a picture of a wet lung, which is how we would describe it. So it's full of fluid. That's because it has a bacteremia septicemia. And what that does is it causes your vessels to become leaky and it drains all this fluid. So this lamb then will be struggling to breathe and will be quite toxic and quite septicemic. Um, this is a kidney, or I guess what's left of the kidney from a general bacteremia septicemia. So this is what we see in lambs that have chronic um, navel infections and ascending infections up through their navel. So I think, again, it's apologies if, if, if this is difficult to look at, but I think it does give a very good visual of what actually the bacteria coming in through an undipped navel will actually end up doing. And um, so I, I, I think it's, it, I hope it's useful. Cause of death in adult sheep, we're still looking at um, pastorellas can cause uh, death in adult sheep, metabolic nutrition. So you're talking about your twin lamb diseases, you're talking about your um, hypothalcemia, your milk fever, then GIT infections. So you can be talking about salmonella infections. You can be also talking about your homonchus contortus and then systemic infections, your bacteremia, septicemias again. So this is a lung. So your lung should be nice and pink and air filled. 
there's a lot of fibrin and inflammatory exudate on this lung. So this is typically what you see in a Mannheimer hemolytica. Again, I'm putting this up just to show that you can imagine that the treatment of this disease is going to be very, very difficult to get antibiotics in to resolve that level of inflammation. So that's why it is so important to try and vaccinate and also then not to be putting your sheep under pressure with concurrent diseases so that they're able to fight these infections and not get them and keep them in their upper ear tracts and not allow them to colonize their, their lower respiratory systems. This is a more chronic pneumonia that we'd have got a pastoral multocida from. Um, <clears throat> and we'll come this, to this again uh, slightly later under our thin yo survey. This is um, a pneumonia that uh, some of you might be dealing with on your farm or might have heard of this Yagziecta, this ovine pulmonary abnormatosis. So it's basically a cancer of the lungs. It's an infectious cancer of the lungs and there is no treatment for it. Um, so culling is your only option. But again, I think these things are not to be uh, something to be feared. They're something to be realize you may have it and then come up with a control program for it. Oops, it is it. So again, I'm always keen to manage expectations because I think some people get frustrated with the labs in that um, you think you don't get any reports. I've heard that a lot of times. Um, we always send a report to your PVP following when we actually look and do the gross postmortem. That day or the following morning, a report, an initial report will be sent to your PVP. Then as we get results back, a report is sent. So routinely, your vet will get three or four reports on every submission that comes into the lab. So please follow up with your vet. Um, if you haven't got results, there will be results from your submission um, with your PVP. If you don't get a result, I mean uh, an actual diagnosis as to what caused the death or what caused the drift in your sheep, please keep submitting. And so the two or three refreshes abortions are dead lambs or perinatal mortality. We are here to help. And that's our, our only function really is, is to help um, uh, the agri, agri sector and farmers. I suppose herd health, just to synopsize before we briefly go on to some of the things that we see through the lab, is all about that connection between the environment. So you, if you have an environment that's dirty with a, a lot of an infectious pressure, no matter what you do, with your animal, you're going to get disease. If you have an animal, which is the host, that is under pressure, malnourished, has coexisting diseases, you're going to find it very, very difficult to keep that animal healthy. And then last, you have the actual causation. So the bacteria or the virus or the parasite. So you need to also keep them controlled. And it's the interaction of those three that will result in disease. Um, I guess this is what we've seen this week and last week, just a few cases just um, to show you. So we saw uh, an acute and chronic fluke in the same animal. So it was an ongoing active uh, fluke infection in this uh, animal because they're adult fluke coming out of the gallbladder. But there was also hemorrhagic tracts um, and a very pale from acute fluke infection. So um, there had to be a review of, of uh, antibiotic use there and parasite control. This is uh, what we saw um, very, very, very frequently during um, summer autumn of this year was this homonchus contortus, these very pale sheep. They didn't have diarrhea. They were pale. In If the disease was slightly longer in, um, in its course, they also might have had a bucket jaw. 
So when you think of pale sheep and a bottle jaw, you can jump to a liver fluke. But this, in fact, um, so there's the, the bottle jaw here and the very pale eye. This, in fact, was a barbapole worm, this Hemonchus contortus worm. So the Hemonchus contortus worm, um, because I guess due to climate change, its uh, spread has reached as far north as um, Sligo now, whereas it was typically a disease of the southeast, the sunny southeast and the south. And um, now it has been seen all over the country, but I certainly think we would have got our, more than our fair share of it because of our, our climate down in the southeast. So I just pointed out to you. So this is the barber pole worm here. So you can see the way it looks like a, a barber pole. That red coloration is because it is a blood ingester. So that's blood in its intestinal um, tract in within the worm. And that's what causes the anemia. So the larval stage five and the adult worm actually are in the abomasum, which is the true stomach of the sheep. Um, and they, they uh, ingest blood there, causing the anemia. So again, it's worth noting that diarrhea isn't the feature. Another key feature, this is this is the, the barbicole worm again here and here and here. So a feature of this disease is that it, it produces huge amounts of eggs. So not infrequently, we would get 15,000 or 20,000 eggs per gram in the fecal samples from these sheep. So you can imagine that that number of um, worms in the stomach is going to ingest quite a bit of blood and cause uh, weakness and anemia and then death if this isn't picked up and treated uh, very quickly. Um, <clears throat> again, when we think worms, we think diarrhea. This is not the case with this worm. Uh, it can be treated with most uh, anthelmintics um, plus um, any of the flucosides with nitroxinol or clazantin. And there's just another one there. So very common diagnosis in 22 in 2015, because we felt it probably was around. We did a survey um, on springborn lambs uh, using PCR technique, and 29.6% of them were PCR positive from Bertamonchus contortus, and they were countrywide. Uh, another cause of sudden death in lambs, which we're seeing quite frequently, and uh, we've certainly had you know a number of cases is um, with this history, moving from depleted winter crops to a new pasture plus or minus meal supplementation. So where a winter crop is becoming scarce and farmers are allowing the lambs to get the very last of it and then moving them out to a flush um, crop of it or into pasture and supplementing with meal. And we're getting this uh, acidosis, ruminal acidosis, grain overloads or barley poisoning. Um, so we see these rumens full of grain, um, and then you have this soupy um, material, and it's basically poisoning the sheep, and they're very low pHs, so their rumen becomes very acid. And then just another one that we see, not so much this time of year, any time of year, I guess, but um, is sheep with bloody urine. So when we think of that, we think of these jaundiced sheep, and we think of copper poisoning. Um, sometimes it's the feeders to blame, but usually, more frequently, it's inadvertent supplementation of copper in that copper is given and that's fine, but they're also getting copper from another source, maybe from meal or small amounts of it or whatever. Um, just to mention very briefly, and I'm, I'm nearly finished now, so uh, please bear with me, uh, the Thinio survey. So ourselves in Chagask are working closely 
to try and get a handle on what these iceberg diseases, their prevalence or their role in, um, in, in thrift in sheep. So most of these diseases, of which there are five, um, cause ill thrift in sheep. So if in your flock you have yews that are thinner than they should be, despite adequate nutrition, we would be uh, more than happy to take those three of those and um, you contact your lab or your TOGSC advisor and um, we'll put them down in the lab and we'll test them free of charge um, and we'll be looking specifically for these iceberg diseases but obviously we'll be tested for parasites and uh, other diseases as well or you know broken mouths or those common causes of ill thrift but we will certainly be testing for the five um, iceberg diseases. They're caused iceberg disease because sometimes they can be very inapparent um, until the level becomes quite high. So border disease, which is very similar to BVD in cattle, the cases lymphadenitis, which causes lumps, uh, the medivisna, which can cause chronic pneumonia, ovine yonase disease, which typically causes ill thrift, not diarrhea, and then the ovine pulmonary adenocarcinoma, which is the exite, which we referred to as before. So this is yonis, thickened inflamed bowels, causing ill thrift, typically not diarrhea. Border disease, we don't pick it up that frequently, but it can cause these little hairy shakers, they're called. So they have a little tremor and um, their hair is quite uh, uh, wiry and uh, curly. Then we have Medivisna. So um, we detected it in the lab in Kilkenny in 2020, the first uh, case of it in Ireland. Um, was uh, confirmed here. And um, so again, this is one of these long chronic diseases. Uh, in Ireland, it's the pneumonic form of it, which um, we've really only come across. We haven't seen the, the business form, which is the nervous form. It also causes a chronic mastitis. Control options for any of these iceberg diseases, there's no treatment. So the control really is knowing you have it, putting in a control can also to um, call positive animals. Uh, CLA, again, these, these abscesses caused by um, Crinobacterium pseudotuberculosis, treating with uh, antibiotics is unsuccessful. So again, you want to know what the incidence of it is and try and call it out. There is a blood test for it, which you can use to assess your exposure within your flock. And these are the control options, screening and calling. And then this is your OPA again, these, um, what they look like are kind of fatty lumps in, in the liver, but when you look at them on histopathology, then you see these little um, cancerous growths within, within the lung. So the aim and the purpose, uh, final slide, is provide information on the causation and etiology of disease processes causing chronic ill thrift in sheep, in our sheep flocks. Um, so really we'd appreciate it if you consider it. We hope it'll, um, be very useful to you if in thrift is a problem because there really is no point in feeding sheep with these diseases because all they're doing is spreading it to other sheep and um, they will not get or improve from these diseases. So we'd, we'd be very amenable to any of you who are listening to or tell others about it if in thrift is, is perceived as an issue. Speak to your task advisor or your PVP and it can be arranged to drop them into the lab and as I say, we humanely uh, put them to sleep. And we need to carry out testing for all these diseases, plus all those uh, free of charge, and report back uh, to your PVP. And hopefully, then you can um, start a control program for it. So that's it. Um, as always, um, I'm 
a mouthpiece. So there's a lot of staff here in Kilkenny OVL who um, uh, help us all the way. So I'd like to thank those also colleagues in our, the other OVLs throughout the country at Lowen, Cork, Dublin, Sligo, Limerick, um, and the Chagask Advisors, and obviously uh, to the farmers for listening. Thanks very much. Thanks, Marissa. Very comprehensive talk. Covered a lot of ground and it looks certainly topical at this time of the year. Um, maybe just when Charles is getting ready, I might just throw you a couple of quick questions. We've one in here in the Q&A. And so we've one in at the moment and it's probably timely. In a flock where an abortion starts, and look, a lot of these problems only ever start on a Friday evening when everything's closed. Um, that interval from when the animal aborts to when it's submitted, that obviously has an impact. Can you preserve the placenta, the fetus, over the weekend, is that possibility or how close to um, submission yeah. has it to be? Like if, if that was an adult animal or even a calf or a weanling, I'd say absolutely. It's probably not the one to submit. But actually for an aborted fetus, you have a little bit more time because a lot of the testing is done in the laboratory as opposed to a visual exam or actual examination of individual organs or seeing changes in those. So I put it in a cool place. Do not freeze it. Because that's the temptation is, is that you freeze it and it can be fine because it takes a long time to thaw. It can disrupt the tissues. And so our advice is absolutely keep it as cool as you can. And it should actually be OK to submit. As I say, if it was if it was a, an adult yolk or a lamb, I'd say absolutely not because they're covered in wool and they, they basically go off very quickly. But for aborted material, I would also stress, though, that chances are you will have another one. And if you do over the weekend, give us the freshest. You, you would hope, of course, to be fingers crossed, but it could be the start for someone. Yeah. Again, Maritza, like that submission is clean as possible, you know, the bag and that you don't want to contaminate with any other sources. No, but don't worry too much. Put it into a mineral bag or put it into something like that. Um, put the placenta into a long glove and seal it. Um, just from your own point of view, Make sure it's leak proof for your boot if you're coming with a boot, you know, because sometimes we see them and go, you know, I hope there isn't shopping going into the boot after that, you know. So yep. just just for your own point of view, because remember, um, the abortifactant agents are zoonotic. So particularly uh, women of childbearing age, they really have to be careful. So that's the one thing sometimes that you kind of go, Jenny, God, you know, or put into a bucket or something, because a lot of those bags actually are leak proof. You know, you, you think they are, but you lift them up then and there's a... So double or triple bag it, but don't worry too much about what that looks like. It, it'll be fine. Just the follow-on from the last question, like a lot of these diseases are zoonotic. I'm thinking the chlamydia, the salmonellas, you know, the importance of hygiene, particularly for the operators in a lamb and shed and those in the household as well, that can't really be underestimated. No, it's very, very important. And I think when people are under pressure and tired and in a rush, uh, things like we all do, you're, you're, it's, it's kind of slips down the, the importance. But I think it's really important to, to leave your footwear and your pull-ups um, at the back door, especially with small children, like children crawling around in that. Um, we have heard kind of stories of, you know, children that are crawling out and all of a sudden their hands are on top of Wellingtons and stuff like that. Um, the advice really is that uh, any pregnant or who could be pregnant shouldn't be in the lambing shed um, again we've had people who have been very worried here um, ringing us and saying look we just got a diagnosis of this and you're pregnant and that's a very worrying time then and uh, so really you have to take a lot of 
precautions, especially children around lambing sheds, you really have to supervise them washing their hands and stuff. So just basic, basic stuff. And no eating or drinking in lambing sheds, I suppose that, that would be a, a risk. And wear gloves, wear your long gloves if you're lambing yours, and even wear the short, get a box of those at the start of the lambing, and at least then you're taking them off before you go back into the house. And hand washing, yeah. just basic hand washing. So look, I know everyone listening knows this stuff, but it, it's probably no harm just to remind yourself before it kicks off, just to put a few little things Bits of foot baths, leave clothing outside, wash them frequently, just stuff like that. It all seems very basic, but it's a very small investment just to safeguard your own health and indeed the animal's health as well. Like, Yeah, and especially then if you have, um, say, older people or people with, you know, who go undergoing treatment for cancer, or that they, they're the real high risk people that, you know, healthy people that are up all night having yours, there's probably fear of them, they'll put it behind them. But, um, then you are coming back into households that maybe with more vulnerable people and they're the people who's kind of watch over. Yeah, the girls have to be conscious too. Our own immunity tends to wear during laminate sleep as a, is limited. Look, just maybe on that one as well, in terms of transmission of some of disease, diseases, some are obviously sheep to sheep. I'm thinking chlamydia here is one. Even the work gear that people are wearing, that is a potential risk of transferring disease from far enough. For instance, if you lamb for a neighbour or something else, you know, really that gear should probably be left behind you or different gear disinfected. Oh yeah, like if if you're if you're lambing for somebody, get them to get you a pair of pull-ups and a pair of Wellingtons, and you just wear those in their farm. Do you know? Or even even like lads who are I know it's, it's, lads coming on milking, they should have dedicated aprons or whatever in cattle farms, and likewise with. And you know what? It's it's I don't think anymore is it is it kind of rude or thing to insist that people do that. People are are kind of aware of that now and are more accepting of that and. If you kind of go, look, there's a pair of pull-ups there for you and there's a Wellingtons. People just accept that and they're they're half glad of it because it, t- it takes the, the pressure off them. They just wear that and they leave that there. They leave coats and whatever. And as well as that, just even normal stuff around taps, a bit of soap and a bit of paper, hand towel. And don't bother about the hand towel out from the kitchen. You know, just a bit of a paper dispenser and use that to clean hands and stuff. Just Just basic, simple stuff, just if you have... A week or two now before things kick off, just to maybe think think about a few simple things, go down to the creamery and get a few things like that. It make a big difference. That bit of preparation also helps. The thing you survey, look, I think it's it's an important it's an important survey, and I think it's probably fair to say any of us that work in the industry and work with farms, we see a cohort of tinner ewes and flocks. Likelihood is that iceberg diseases, we probably have a lot more flocks out there that have them that aren't aware of it. So just in terms of submission, um. Do you have to receive all those yews together or as people go through them, like particularly post-scanning, maybe handing them for that clostridial vaccine, if some yews have gone very thin for no obvious reason, can they be submitted individual numbers and how do you go about submitting them to the labs? They can. Look, we, we want to see as many sheep as possible, so we'll be as co- as accommodating as absolutely possible. So if you're, if you're anxious to give uh, one or two more of them a chance to turn around and you think that maybe they, they will, that's absolutely fine. Um, and if we get a diagnosis in the first one, that's good enough. Because if we got a diagnosis of one of these iceberg diseases in one of your sheep, there's very little chance that it isn't in other sheep in your flock due to the nature of these diseases. Um, but ideally, look, if you have three, I suppose from a realistic point of view, even though I know they've fallen back a bit, but sheep prices were very good. And I suppose people are anxious to, to sell as much as they can. And we understand that. But if the, if 
if they could maybe just think slightly more long term and kind of go, you know what, I think I think this is a bit more serious and I really need to find out. Look, we think we probably think these iceberg diseases are at a pretty low level. Um, because in our routine surveillance, we're yeah, we're coming across some of them, but we're not coming across them. So I don't think there's any reason to be fearful. And I think it's always better. It has to be always better to know and to, and to try and get on top of the problem. Um, and there are there are ways of you know it'll take time. It 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 it, it might be that simple, but I think it's 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 better to know and try and call out that problem out of your as long as you can. So look, absolutely, we'll be as accommodating as possible because we're very anxious to see these, and we do do a lot of testing on them. So even if it isn't an iceberg disease. We should be able to tell you something that will be of use. Like of this, some of them we've done, you know, really it's it's parasitism we've, we've come across as as a, as a big problem um, and ongoing kind of changes that, that, you know, so that's also very, very useful information. I think, like in fairness, there is a bit of a stigma around some of them diseases, but the like of OPA, that if you have it in your flock, it's going to hit performance massively. It's going to hit you financially. And the only way to control it is identify and start culling from that. And like even even with that disease, like there's advances being made all the time. So I know Chagas have done a lot of work with scanning yours to try and pick up that disease earlier, so that you know you're you're getting those sheep out of your system, so that you're not spreading it to other sheep, and that can only be a positive thing. So there's advances all the time. Testing is becoming a little better, and um, so you know, and there's lots of advice there to to try and deal with it as well. So I don't, I don't think it's anything you should be afraid of because I think not knowing and having it going on insidiously in your flock is, is, is more of a risk. We leave it there for this episode. I'd like to thank Marissa for giving up her time to come on the webinar. It was always useful getting that update each spring. A full recording of the webinar with both herself and Charles is available on the Chuggish YouTube channel and it's well worth having a look at. That's it for me for this episode. For any updates from the Sheep Programme, keep an eye on our Twitter page at Chalk Sheep. I'm Kieran Lynch. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to tune in in future episodes.